Spring of Life Fellowship and the vision of changing the world invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Let's listen to our guest. Thanks for this day. We thank you for a day you've made, and we want to rejoice and be glad in it, Father God, for we know you have great things for us this morning, Lord. Lord, we don't want to focus on our past. Lord, we don't want to worry about our future, but we want to live for today, and we know that today is a day you've made for us, and uh, we're excited, Lord, being in your house, in your presence, the time we spend in worship with you, Father, and so we pray, God, that you just um, speak your word to your people this morning, Father, and that you may minister to the hearts that are here. I pray that you prepare the, the soil of our hearts so that we may receive a good seed, so that we may bear good fruit, Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Last week I shared a message with the youth, and um, very rarely will I have the message that I share with the youth, and, and, and I'm driving home with my wife, and uh, we're saying this message, we both said, this message is so good for the church. And I know it's not just for, for uh, the youth, the, young, the youth and young adults, but it's, this is for the church. And because I'll tell you, every time I preach, even if it's a, in a youth service, most of the time I'm preaching, I'm preaching to myself. And God's ministering to me right there at the altar. And I'm like, I got to get my act straight in, in areas that I got to get my act straight in. So uh, the Lord's putting conviction in my heart at times. And uh, the Lord's dealing with me in, in areas in my life. And, and he's planting seeds in my life as I'm preaching. So uh, um, this message was one of those messages, very few messages that we said, we got to share this message with the church. And it wasn't a few days later that pastor asked me to share a message. And I was like, I got a message for the church. So get ready. It's called Take the Land. I want you to tell the person next to you, get ready to take the land. Tell them. That's right. You got to say that. You got to proclaim it like Pastor Joaquin shared. That's got to be a proclamation. I'm going to take the land. All right. And uh, I want to start with a quick story, a quick illustration. Um, a few months ago, and I won't be as detailed and graphic as I was with the youth, as I know this is a more serious crowd. But um, a few months ago, I had an issue with the toilet. And where the toilet just didn't flush properly. And, um, and I don't know if you've been there, but it's not a good thing when you really got to go and the, just the toilet isn't working. And, um, or you've gone in the toilet and you just can't flush it. And again, I'm not going to be as graphic as I was with the youth. But um, it's, it's, it's a really bad feeling and you want to do whatever it takes to fix it. So um, I, in my house, I grabbed the plunger and I started fixing this. I was trying to, 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 to pop out whatever was like stuck there, any paper, anything that was in there, but it wouldn't come out. And something deep in there was stuck, not allowing my toilet to flush. And it's very frustrating. I wanted to be the hero of the house, the man of the house. And uh, my kids were looking at me as I'm doing this and sweating and struggling. Um, so I was like, don't worry about it, kids. I'll be right back. I went over to Home Depot. And I said, listen, I need whatever it takes to unclog a toilet. I'm not a plumber. I don't know what I need. But I need to make sure that my family sees me unclog this toilet. And so they told me, you got to get the snake. And uh, so I got the snake, 
And so let's put a picture of this snake on the screen there. And uh, this is the unit I got. And I'll tell you, this unit saved the day. So this unit, what it is, it's, uh, it's just a long, big cable-looking thing. And at the end of it, it's got a sharp hook on it. And uh, it's got that twirly thing um, at the end, uh, the other end of it. So, um, so I got home, and I read the instructions, and it was very simple. You just stick that thing in, put it all the way in, and start, as you're going in, start to turn, start to turn. Because as you st- it starts to turn, it starts to find anything that it can grab and so that you can pull it out. So that thing goes about six feet in there. I don't know how long it is, but it's pretty long. And it went all the way deep into those pipes. And, uh, and I'm going in there, my kids are watching, my family's watching, and I'm pulling. And as I pull out, it was just a little pencil that was causing all the clogging in my toilet. But I was a hero that day because the toilet flushed. It was like, yeah, Dad, you're the best. And, um, but I'm going to tie this into my message somehow. I know it's hard to, to tie in a, uh, the toilet into the message, but I'll tell you that Sometimes just a little thing, a little pencil, a little sin in your life can really clog the flowing of God's grace in your life, the, the, the flowing of God's blessing in your life, the flowing of God's best in your life. And I'm sorry that it has to be a toilet that I'm talking about here this morning, but uh, it was just something I had to relate to, something that I know was, was stuck and wasn't allowing the flowing of that to go through. And um, same thing happened with the people of Israel, where just a little sin stopped the flowing of God's blessing upon their life. And um, when, you, when we read James 1, 14, 16, and I'll tell you, sin is sin. And you say, it's just a little sin in my life. Well, I'll tell you, that little sin is enough to stop God's blessing upon your life, God's spirit to flow in your life. And it says, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticements. And I'll tell you, it starts with a desire that you have. It starts with a temptation. It becomes a desire that you have. Very careful when, you, when you're tempted by something. Because it's going to become a desire. And it's going to be a thought in your, in your mind where, it's good, where you're going to have to make a choice at that moment to take that thought captive and put it under your feet. Otherwise, it will become a desire. And verse 15, it says, what happens to that desire? It says, when desire has conceived, when it's taken captive of your mind, of your heart, it says it gives birth to sin. That's something not good to, to give birth to. And um, so w- when you have this in your life, it's going gonna, it's gonna to give birth to sin. And it says, and sin, when it is full grown, and I'll tell you, it grows. It brings forth death. And I'll tell you, sin grows just like a plant grows, just like a good seed that gets planted grows. And, and it bears good fruit. I'll tell you, sin does the same thing. It's not just that one little sin that you put into your life and that, 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 that it's birthed into your life. It's that sin will just... Will just keep you going and wanting more and wanting more where it just will produce death in your life and it will produce that flowing of God in your life to just stop and then you say why God isn't um, I love you God why I, I, I come to church I read your word I'm faithful in these areas but why isn't that I'm not getting the best for me why am I not living the maximized potential that I could? Well, God is telling you because it's probably the sin you have in your life. And I want to bless you and I want to give you the best. But there's some things in there 
that you got to deal with. There are things in there that you got to let go and give to me. And the same thing happened with the people of Israel. And I'm going to take you way back. And this is when, <coughs> excuse me, this is when the people of Israel were in Egypt. And Egypt is really representative of that life of sin. And they were, and, and so God sent Moses. Moses took these people out and he, and he takes them out of Egypt. And this is their old life and that's it. So he takes them out and he's taking them towards the promised land. But before the promised land, they had to face the Red Sea. And so they, 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 they reached this dead end. And they're like, what now? What do we do? Moses, what do we do now? And Moses looks up, what do we do now? And you know what happens that the Lord parts that Red Sea. The people of God go through that. And as the people of God go through that Red Sea, the enemies come right after. And, they're en- and these enemies, as they're coming right through, the sea closes and all their enemies were gone. So I'm going to take you Not back to the Old Testament, but I'm going to take you to Paul's account of this when he's talking about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And I'm going to show you today, uh, before we read that, I want to tell you that God has the best for you. He has a promised land for each and every one of you. There's no exception to that. Everyone that's sitting here in this place, God has a promised land for you. And that promised land is God's best for you. That promised land is a place of fulfillment in your life. Where you are fulfilled. Where you have God's best. It's it's a person's maximum potential. I'll tell you, a lot of you have a potential to do so much. A lot of you, as we shared with the youth a few weeks ago, a lot of you have a gift in each and every one of you. And all it takes is for you to stir that gift up. up, And it's going to birth out something amazing. To its maximum potential. And I'm telling you, that's part of God's promised land for you. A place where God maximizes the potential of his people. Of each and every one of you. A place where God's promises are fulfilled. I'll tell you, this word is filled with so many promises. Page after page. And they're for you. It's for his people. It's for his creation. It's for his loved ones. And he loves you. This is his promises to you. And I'll tell you, God wants nothing but the best for you. And I'll tell you, when you reach that land, when you reach the promised land of God, you're going to live in a land where you're just going to be blown away by God's blessings, by God's provision. You're going to reach your maximum potential, what God expects from you. But we need to take the land. We need to stand up and take that land. And so, so a few things happened to the people of Israel. And a few things kept them from reaching that land, from reaching God's best. And it was five things. And if you're taking notes today, we're going to call this the big five. These are the five things, the five sins that kept the people of Israel from reaching the promised land. The five things that kept them from reaching the best that God had for them. So let's start reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. It says, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers 
We're under the cloud. Now, I want you to, to, again, I'm taking you back to this story, and I want you to understand for a second. He's talking about the forefathers. He's talking about the people in the past. He's talking about the people of Israel here. And he's saying, I don't want you to be unaware that all these people, they were under the cloud. Understand that, that they were under the cloud of God. This was God's protection, God's care, God's covering. It was God's wisdom. Because when God is directing you in the way you should go, that's wisdom for your life. I'll tell you, if you start to to make directions in your own life and you don't follow the cloud of God, you're headed in the wrong direction. There's a way that seems right to a man. But it's, it's, its end is destruction. But I'll tell you, there's a way to life and it's God's way. And I'll tell you, if you're under the cloud of God, you're under his protection. You're under his wing. And the people of God, the people of Israel were under this cloud. So they were like you and I. They were like you and I where we're under God's cloud, under his direction. We're coming to church. We're receiving his word. It says, in fact, that all passed through the sea. I want to tell you, if you've been baptized, you've, been, you've passed through the sea. Because you've gone through the water. You've walked in this dry land. And you looked back. And all your enemies, all your past, where you came from, were buried in that water. All your sin, all your, all your past, all your addictions, all your worries, all your shame, all of it was gone under that water. And God had a purpose for that. Because he gave them a new life, a new opportunity to say, that's it. You're no longer a slave to that. I've got something new coming ahead. It's my promised land for you. So they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Verse 3. They all ate the same spiritual food. See, God provided them manna bread from heaven and they all ate from that and I'll tell you all of you come here every Sunday you come here every Wednesday maybe you even grab your word throughout the week and you read it and God provides you this spiritual food in your life so maybe this is sounding like you maybe you're sounding like the people of Israel where you're under the cloud you're eating the same spiritual food that everyone around you is eating you're doing a good thing verse 4 And you all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And man, I want you to know that this is crazy. The fact that that God gave them water that came out of a rock. I mean, I'd, I'd freak out. I'd be drinking from that water all day long. Eating bread that comes from heaven. That's me. I'm first in line. I'm amazed by that. It comes straight from God. And I'll tell you that a lot of you have eaten the bread. A lot of you have drank from Jesus and never thirst again. And you say, this is the best. But there's a possibility. There's a possibility that you could have all this and yet not attain God's best for your life. So in other words, there's, there's, this, is, this is for the Christian. This is for the Christian that's going to heaven. But says, you know what, I'm just going to sit down. And, and I'm just going to relax, and um, I'm all right. But they'll miss out on God's best for them. And very few, 
Very few get God's best. Look what happened in verse 5. But with most of them, everybody say most. Most of them. God was not well pleased. What? He's telling me that it wasn't just coming to church. It wasn't just reading my word. It wasn't just eating of, of the spiritual food in my life. There was more to that. Yes, there was. And he says that God was, with most of them, was not well pleased. For their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Verse 6. Now these things became our examples. These things here that we're going to talk about became as a warning to us. For you and I, the one that's reading this scripture right now. These examples, these are the things that kept the people of Israel from attaining God's best for them. And they're written for you. I'll tell you, there's nothing better than, than somebody who told me what they've gone through so that I don't go through the same thing. When I got married, before I got married, I received marital counsel. And I thank God for the things that were instructed in my life. Because I heard the things that people have gone through because of things they did. And they told me, don't do this. Don't do this. In fact, I want, you need to do this. You need to do what the Word says. And I thank God for those warnings. I thank God for that instruction in my life. And this is what happened to them. And this was for you. Now these things became our warnings to the intent that we should not, number one, lust after evil things as they also lusted. So I want you to write number one in the big five is lust came Number one was lust, and number one was something that did not allow the Israelites to get into the promised land, to receive God's best. And I don't want to talk about sexual lust right now, because we're referring more to, and you can write this down, satisfying self at the expense of God and others. That's what lust is. It's satisfying yourself, your flesh, at the expense of God and the expense of other people. And it's getting what self wants. It's satisfying that flesh that says, I want more. I want more. Give me this. Give me that. It's all about me, myself, and I. What can I get out of this? And I'll tell you that love is the total opposite of that. You see, lust gets but love gives i'll say it again love gives lust gets and we know that god john 3 16 says for god so loved the world he gave his only begotten son that's true love when you give when you lay down your life that's what love is it wasn't about getting it was about giving and the same thing goes with our homes when 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 God tells you to love your wife as Christ loved the church you need to do the same thing because love gives you need to lay down your life for your wife that's giving a lot of men live a selfish life a lustful life 
Always wanting to get, what is it for me? What is it for me to satisfy my flesh? Even if it's at the expense of my wife, even if it's at the expense of other people, at the expense of God, well, how can I be satisfied of this? And it's a problem that men have, an ego problem, that all we want is more for us. Solomon in Ecclesiastes 2.10 says, whatever my eyes desired, watch this, whatever my eyes desired, and this guy had everything. He says, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. And he had all the power, all the money to, to declare something like this. That's powerful. Whatever my eyes desired, whatever I looked at, and I was like, mm, I like that. I did not keep from it. I got it. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. For my heart rejoiced in all my labor. Because it was about my labor. It was about my desire. It was about I did not withhold my heart with my pleasure. It says, and this was my reward. It was my reward from my labor. And I'll tell you, your reward from your labor is nothing compared to the labor to the labor that you give to God, the work that you do for God, his reward is so much greater. And Solomon, with all he had, desired and got and kept nothing from what he desired and he, what he lusted for. The people of God, their feet were taking them to Canaan. But their hearts kept going back to Egypt. You see, their, their heart was, I want the best. How many people want the best? I want the best. I think there's not one person that says, I want the best God has for me. I think our heart is there. We want the best. But there's one thing your heart desires and what your, and what your heart wants and what you want. And there's another thing with what your feet do. And that's what happened with the people of Israel. Because of their lust... Their heart was going one way, but their feet was going the opposite direction. And, they, and they, water, they wandered in this wilderness 40 years. Whereas you know it took, it could have taken just 11 days. 40 years for an 11-day trip. What a waste of time. What a waste of life. Walking around a mountain, just just. Living a life of sin and missing out on God's best. And it's a big possibility to live your entire life. Most of you, like the scripture says, huge possibility you'll live your entire life. You come to the age of 70, 80, and you look back and say, what did I just miss out on? I know I'm going to heaven, but man, all those years... I was just walking around in the wilderness. I was walking around the mountains, and I just didn't get anywhere. I didn't attain God's best for my life. Do you want that for your life? Do you really want God's best for your life? I'll tell you, you got to get up and take the land. You got to proclaim it, and you got to do it. So these people were lovers of pleasure, lovers of more than lovers of God. And you could tell today when men and women are lusting. You could look around you and see that. 
because they desire to satisfy themselves at the expense of others. And I'll tell you the opposite as well. You can tell when they are loving because they desire to satisfy their loved ones at the expense of themselves. See, when you give your life, when you lay it down for someone else, when you serve other people, you're showing love. Because love gives, lust gets. Women, sometimes you lust when you're racking up those credit cards and you just, you're swiping away, swiping away and saying, I hope my husband can pay for this. The statement comes and you just can't do it. All because of lust. And I'm not telling you shopping is a bad thing. Shopping's a great thing. It's a blessing to have. But when it becomes a lustful thing where, where you just desire and want more and it's for me. But if you love to shop because you love to give other people, that's love. So be careful that you don't have this thing called lust in your life. And it's not just sexual lust. But it's anything that you desire. That it's to satisfy yourself. Be careful. Because that can mean you'll miss God's best. We are in verse 7. So it says, and do not become idolaters as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. So number two in the big five, I want you to write on there, idolatry. Idolatry kept the people from Israel from attaining God's best, from attaining the fullest potential that they had. And you say, I'm exempt from this because I didn't do what, what Aaron and all those people did to build a golden calf or I don't, I don't do that kind of stuff or I don't, I don't kneel before statues and, uh, and I, don't, I don't worship like idol stuff like that. Be very careful because it isn't as Simple as that. I'll tell you, idolatry is when we value something. Hear this. is when we value anything to be more worthy of our devotion than our devotion to God. It is when we value something to be more worthy of our devotion than our devotion to God. It's when something takes the devotion away from your devotion with God. There's so many things in our lives that will take that devotion away. And you'll either be devoted to one thing or you're going to be devoted to God. You can't be devoted to both. God tells us in Matthew 6.33 to seek first the kingdom of God. He loves to be number one. He wants you to love God and seek him first and not the things. Seek me first and I'll give you the things that you need. Forget about the things you want. Forget about the things that you lust for. The things you really desire, your flesh desires for. I want to give you the things that you desire spiritually. I want to give you the, the, the gift to serve other people. I want to give you the gift so you can serve in the house of God. You desire that, I'll give it to you. Because it's going to give glory to my name. If there's anything that you desire that's going to give glory to God, he's going to give it to you. 
That's God's part of God's best for your life. But you got to seek first, number one, the kingdom of God. And there's so many things that can take our devotion away. Power. Some people have power in their positions. Education. Education can take your devotion away from God. And I'm not saying education is a bad thing. It's a great thing. I'm going to make my kids make sure they get their education, they graduate, they work hard like I worked hard, and, and make sure they study hard. Education is important. But it's very dangerous the moment that education becomes number one above it, where it becomes a devotion, where all you think about, where you wake up in the morning is your education. And how am I going to exceed money A lot of us wake up and have money and are worried and are consumed by money. Money and everything in their sentences is money and making more money and I don't have enough money. And I'll tell you the reason that's coming out of your mouth is because you're devoted to it. And I'll tell you if you are devoted to God, everything that will come out of your mouth is God and God and God will provide and God will make a way. God will always provide every step of the way. Some are devoted to their businesses so much that it takes their devotion from God. All they think about, all they do, late nights, nonstop. I've been there trying to run my own business. And there are times where I had to say, time out. I can't be devoted to this and be devoted to God. I need to seek first the kingdom of God. And sometimes I may have fallen in the mud. But I tell you, a true warrior gets back up and keeps on running. There's a difference between falling in the mud and, and getting back up than falling in the mud and just having a mud bath and just hanging out there all day long. So if you see yourself being devoted to something, I'll tell you, get up immediately. The Bible says that a faithful man is not one that falls, but one that falls and gets right back up. That's a soldier. That's a warrior of God. You got to get up and proclaim and take the land. For some of us, it's popularity. For some people, it's pornography. Where pornography will take the devotion away. It will captivate your mind. It will give birth to sin. And as sin dwells, you just want more and more of it. And it's going to produce death in your life. It will produce, produce death in your home, in your marriage. And you won't even know it's happening, but it will. When you're devoted to it, when it's taken captive of your life, and that stopped That will stop you from achieving to receiving God's best for your life. All these can become idols in your life. For some of you, it's your novelas. I know it. I know you love watching your novelas. You you love them so much that you record them and you have the whole series recorded because you don't want to miss any one of it. You'll rewind it and was like, ooh, what happened there? Let me rewind that. Watch that part again. And, and, And we love all the movies and the chick flicks. 
I told the, the youth, I tell them all the time, hey, look, I'm going to admit it. I'm a man, but I, I love chick flicks. I got used to them. I had no choice when my wife wanted to stop watching action movies. And I had to do whatever it takes because love gives, right? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give to my wife. I'm going to give up because part of giving is sacrificing. Like Jesus sacrificed on the cross. I had to sacrifice and crucify all my action movies. And I said, I'm going to love her. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to, like, watch chick flicks. And I'll tell you, you just get used to it and you just like them, uh, you know. So, um but I'll tell you that if it becomes a devotion, that hasn't become a devotion in my life. But it, when it becomes a devotion that you just love it, and, and you get captured by the love you see, this fake love that you see in Hollywood, or what you see in these novelas, these soap operas, when it captivates you, it will take hold of you. And you will have this false image of what love is. You will have this, you will fantasize of what love should be. And when you're, with your, when you're with your spouse and you see that it's not the same because it was so perfect on the screen. Why isn't that like that at home? You start to get discouraged. And because you're so devoted to this and not devoted to God and your spouse, you start to miss out on the best because your mind is on something else. And I tell the young people all the time, you got to be careful that you're not fantasizing about a love that's like, I'm waiting for that Prince Charming to come in a white horse with a, with a six-pack all built, uh, blonde hair, blue eyes, coming to rescue you. Be careful. Make sure that's not idolatry in your life. A devotion of a, of a fantasy that you have in your life. Because that will, you will miss out on God's best. You will miss out on the opportunity of receiving God's best for your life. You can be an idol to yourself. We worship ourselves every day in the mirror. I know some of you guys take off your shirts and flex in front of that mirror. Let me see those guns. Have they gotten any bigger? I know it. I've been there. Done that. I've seen them. And we idolize, we look at ourselves and we worship ourselves. Ooh, I look good. Girls, stop laughing because you too, you go and get your, your, your makeup done, your nails done, your hair done. That's not bad. But when it becomes something that you're devoted to, that you have to do it, and you'll go crazy if you don't. Or if you chip a nail and you just start crying and, and, and be careful where your heart is at. There's a lot more to life than just a cracked nail. There's more to life than just wearing the same pair of shoes two times in a row. You could do that. It's not a bad thing. Be careful does not take your devotion away. I hope that this is clear to you. That idolatry isn't just worshiping statues, but it's devoting yourself to something that, that you're, you're, it's more worthy to devote to that than your devotion to God. And then I'll tell you that idolatry will keep you from being maximized in your potential, personally, professionally, spiritually, in all areas of your life. We are in verse 8. Next one. Wait, let's go back a second. Because this is a huge one. And I had it here in front of me. 
So we're talking about idolatry here for a second. And I'll tell you, this is a huge one. All these smartphones that we have. Hmm. Come on. Man, I, I, I started looking at this. And um, I thank God for uh, Raul Sr. who gave me this the other day, just a couple days ago. And he gave me this article. And I love it because he's always passing out, like, all these articles and studies. And, and, and he's like, mira esto, dale esto a los jóvenes, give this to the youth. Speak to them about it. And, um, and when I saw this, I, I was, I freaked out when in 2009, there was approximately 470,000 smartphones in 2009. And in 2012, it jumped to 33 million smartphones. And you see, the problem isn't that this grew to that number. The problem is, is that it's become an idol in our lives it's become an idol in our lives so much that I started to like look up these numbers and, and, and that 75% of people, 89% of people, sorry, reach for their phone, reach for their smartphone within 15 minutes of waking up. 89% of them within 15 minutes of waking up reach for their smartphone. That's a crazy number. And even worse, 75% of them is the first thing they do. So it's not even 15 minutes. Is you wake up, first thing you do is reach for that phone. Let me check my Instagram. Let me see what people are up to. How nosy can I be to know where people ate, where people went last night? What were they doing? This one's a scary one. 75% of people admit using their phone while on the toilet. Serious. 75% of the people admit to using their phone while on the to in the toilet. They call it toilet texting. 75% of them. Look around you. It's three out of the four people around you. Use the phone while they're in the toilet. Don't ever ask them for the phone again. That's disgusting. I never want to use someone else's phone again. Be very careful. Yeah, you're going to have to find the 20. You're going to have to find the one out of the four. You're going to have to ask around. Did you use it? Oh, no, forget it. <laughs> Do you use that while you're in the toilet? It's clean. Hand sanitize it if you have to. But you got to be careful that just a little device can captivate you. Where you're so devoted to it that you're so crazy about it. I was telling the youth that, that there were times where I left my phone in my house. And, 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 I, and I drove away and I'm miles away. And I'm like, my phone. I left it. Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? What happened to the beeper days? The days that we didn't care about our phones. We didn't care about having it with us. Oh, the beeper, who cares? If they beat me, I can't call them back anyways. But our phones, it's everything. It's got all the information I need. My work, my personal, my everything, my social media. I need to know what's going on everywhere. I need to get my calls, my tech. What happens if somebody calls me and I don't have my phone with me? And I, I've driven home. And I've run in and grabbed my phone. And I'll tell you, it's the best feeling. I got my phone. I got my everything. Be careful what you're devoted to, that it'll take your life. And I'll tell you that proof 
that you're devoted to God instead? The proof that you're devoted to God is when you leave your house and you say, oh, I forgot my Bible. I forgot the word. And you come back home and get it. I can't leave anywhere without this. See, that's proof that you're devoted to God, that this means more to you than anything. If I got this, if I got the word, I got everything. Be careful what you're devoted to. All right, now we can go to number three. So let's go to verse eight. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. See, I want to tell you that all of them, all of them didn't commit sexual immorality. It says some of them did. But yet, they all missed out on God's best. So it doesn't mean that, you, that you're like, you know what, Kenny, I only got one of these. I'll tell you, all it takes is one little thing in your life. All it takes is one little pencil to clog up everything that God has for you. So don't say, oh, I'm exempt from this. And sexual morality is anything that has to do with sexual sin. So put number three on your list where it's fornication is the word we're going to use here. And let's go back to that verse. Because there's something alarming about this verse. It says, and in one day, 23,000 died. They fell. And it was due to a plague because of their sexual immorality. Because of the sin that they live. And I'll tell you that not only will you miss out on God's best, but you're going to die spiritually. Not only are you going to miss on the promises of God, on God's maximum potential for your life, but you're going to live a miserable life, a life of death and not of life, just because there's a sin in your life, a fornication. So as I was saying, this sin includes every kind, every kind of sexual sin. But sin is still sin. No matter how you spell it, Sin is sin. And fornication has become very popular. And flirting. And even being sexually active. It's been very acceptable in our culture. Like it's just a normal thing. Like no big deal. Don't get married. Try it out. Take a test drive. See how it goes first. If you like it, all right, then go ahead and buy it. Get married. But not in the Bible. Except in the Bible. And that's why so many people, that's the reason so many people want to burn the Bible, deny the Bible, crucify it, do whatever it takes, but to get rid of this because I don't like what this tells me. I like to live. I like to take the test drive. I like to try it out. I like to satisfy myself. I know the Bible doesn't say, I know the Bible says something different. That's why I don't like this word. And we don't, sometimes we don't like what it says. It even tells us in the word, it says, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? It says, don't be deceived. It says, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor, it says, nor thieves, nor drunkards, nor a lot of other things will inherit the kingdom of God. 
when you live this kind of life, when you not only fall in the mud, but you live in the mud, you're going to miss out on the kingdom of God. You need to get up. You need to get rid of that sexual sin in your life. And you say, how do I do that, Kenny? I'm going to get to that. And God's promise to sit with him on his throne. How many want to sit in God's throne with him? Raise your hand. You want to sit in God's throne. The Bible says it's given to those who are called overcomers. It's given to you if you overcome that. If you overcome all this sin, you'll receive God's best, God's provision. The word stands, and it stands as the standard of faith. It gives the rule of conduct in your life. It reveals the character of God in your life. We see people like Samson that had a sexual sin in his life, and he had to face consequences. Things like the Bible says that the Spirit of God left him. And his eyes were plucked out. Eyes are so precious to us. And imagine if your eyes were plucked out. But even worse, imagine that the spirit of God would leave your life, which is the cloud of God, the best in your life. All because there's a sexual sin in my life. Happened to David. David committed adultery with, with, with Bathsheba. Fornication. He lusted with his eyes. He had sex with her. And his consequence, his direct consequence to that was that he lost his son. And I'll, and I'll say it again. Not only are you going to miss out on God's best, but you're going to lose out on what you have. Of, the, of what you labored, of what you attained. And God is a God that will give, but he's also a God that will take away. Because that's how he's going to discipline you. And he'll do whatever it takes. Whatever it takes to get your attention. And it's not worth it. That's not what God intended your life to be like. He intended it to live it to the fullest potential. He intended for you to have the best, each and every one of you sitting in this place. He intended for you to have the best spouse. He intended for you to have the right job. He intended for you to be, hap be happy in your home, to have a peace in your home, to have forgiveness in your home. That's how God intended it. But when you have sexual sin in there, you miss out on all of that. Take the land. Stand up. Everyone, everyone is given the opportunity to enter his Canaan to develop his or her maximum potential. And when the people of Israel committed fornication, they died in the wilderness. Never seen Canaan. All those people died. They never got to see the best. They wasted 40 years of their life, and they never got to see God's best. So many today, they still die in the wilderness, and they miss out on God's best. And it wasn't God's plan for them. It wasn't God's plan for them to miss out. And it's not for God's plan for you to miss out today. We got all these warning signs, as the Bible tells us. All these examples for this reason. And most of them miss out. Most. 
I don't want you to miss out. God doesn't want you to be part of that most. He wants you to be part of that few that will attain that land. Many are called, but few are chosen. Few will receive that promise. But it's intended for all. Be careful with that sexual sin. You young and you young men, men and young women, you're subject to those desires, those appetites, those passions you have. And it's going to prohibit you from becoming the man that God called you to be, the woman that God called you to be. Don't let sexual sin take over. Take that out. The next one, verse 9, says, Nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Tempting Christ means demanding that God do what is contrary to his character. I'll say it again. Tempting Christ means demanding that God do what is contrary to his will. And just like when Jesus was on that cross, people were demanding him. If you're the Messiah, you can come down right there. But it wasn't part of God's will for him to come down even though he had the power to do it. It was part of God's will that Jesus hung there and died for you and for me. That was God's will for his life. And he was being tempted because people went contrary to what was God's will. And said, well, if you're Christ, you can get down from there. Come on. It's doing something and knowing that it's wrong. When you know you shouldn't be doing something, when it's contrary to his word, yet you say, I'm going to do it anyways. You're tempting Christ. You say, how much can I indulge in this sin before God gets angry? Before something bad happens, how much more can I just enjoy this sin in my life before, you know, I, I can just ask God for forgiveness and I'll just go back to my sin and ask God for my forgiveness. You're tempting Christ there. Because you're not falling in the mud and getting back up. You're falling in the mud and just dancing around in it. That's tempting Christ. Because it's not God's will for you to do that. It's God's will for you, you to get up and take the land. It's when we try his patience. God tells you to wait. And we question and say, why, God? That isn't right. Come on. I'm a child of you. And you're telling me to wait. Don't tempt Christ. Don't provoke his anger. It's doing something. And knowing that it's wrong, it's demanding that God do what is contrary to his character. The Bible says in that verse, back in verse 8, verse 9. It says, because of the fact that they tempted Christ, it says, they were destroyed by serpents. God sent poisonous snakes out there. And I don't want God's snakes to come after me. I don't want his wrath upon my life. I want God's best for my life. Verse 10, next one for the big five. 
It says, nor complain, as some of them also complain, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Complain, which is murmuring. So we've got number one, we've got lust. Number two, we've got idolatry. Number three, we have fornication. Number four, we have tempting Christ. And the last of the big five that kept the people of Israel from reaching their maximum potential, from reaching the promised land, was murmuring. And it's nothing more or nothing less than negative confession that comes out of your mouth. That's what murmuring is. It's nothing more than that. And it's nothing less than that. The negative confession that comes out of your mouth. And that includes complaining. How many complainers we got in the house? I know nobody wants to raise their hand. Maybe you admit it. Yeah, yeah, I complain all the time. I complain about my finances. I complain about my my husband. I complain about my kids. I complain about everything. That's negative confession. That's murmuring in your life. And that can keep you from receiving God's best, your mouth. Sometimes we got to shut our mouth up and listen to God. Criticizing people that are always talking about other people. A negative confession about someone else. Man, so-and-so is is so rude and -and so-and-so is this. I can't believe the pastor said that, uh, preached that word on Sunday. We criticize. He was so hard. He read the word of God and and, and he talked about idolaters and all these people that won't inherit the kingdom of God. How dare he say that? Don't criticize me. Don't criticize the word either. It's truth. Stop murmuring. Because that will keep you from receiving God's best. Fault finding. When you find fault in other people. When negative confession comes into your life. I've shared this example before. But there was a time where when we first got married, Jenny and I. And we got into an argument. And I wasn't the man who I was years later in my marriage. So I'm the man who I believe I was. I was this macho man with, with this ego that I know I messed up. I know it. I know it was my fault. But I was going to stand there and stand my ground. And I wasn't going to um, say and admit it was me. I was going to point the finger at her and say, and I'm going fa- to find fault in you, Jenny. It was your fault. That's the reason we're here. You started this. We're arguing. But I'll never forget the words that she said. She goes, okay, Adam. When she told me, okay, Adam, I was like, that's my wife that said that? For real? That just shut my mouth up. And I go, you're right. And for those who don't know, Adam always found fault in his woman and said, it was the woman you gave me. Instead of taking responsibility for his garden. Not for saying, oh, it was the snake that convinced my wife and my wife shouldn't have listened to that snake. Well, you shouldn't have let the snake into your garden. Take responsibility, men. Stop trying to find fault in your wife. Be the man and say, it's my fault. 
And when you protect your home, when you protect your garden, you're going to have God's best. It's his promise. Don't find fault in others, specifically your spouse. That's a, a type of murmuring, it's negative confession. People murmur about their friends. They talk about their friends all the time. But yet then they ask, why don't they come to church when I invite them? We want them to know Jesus, but man, they're like impossible. Stop murmuring about them. Start praying for them. People dishonor their parents. Children, all of you in this place, stop dishonoring your parents. And then you say, why isn't there peace in my home? Do what God instructs you to do, regardless of how your mom and dad are. You do what you're called to do and, and honor them. And you'll see the supernatural power of God take place in that home. Honor them no matter what. Not because your mom and dad honor you, but because God placed your parents there. And he commanded you to honor them. No matter what, good or bad, call them good, bad, ugly, it doesn't matter. You honor them. It's God's commandment for your life, and there's blessing behind that. You want peace in your home? Start to honor them. God wants all to enter and take the land. And I'll tell you again, it's the, it's the place of rest. It's a place of blessing. It's a place of success for your life. It's the place of ability, of authority. Where he desires you to be at. Let's have the worship team come up this morning. And I want to share an illustration of Joseph. I think one of what a great example of somebody who had a dream, of someone who had a promise that God told him he was going to give him the best. And I'll tell you, he was tested in the wilderness, being stuck in a pit, taken to a place <coughs> where he was tempted, where a woman, Potiphar's wife, was trying to deceive him and tell him to lie with me. And at that moment, he could have decided, he could have, he could have chosen to give in to that sin. But you know what? If he would have given in to that sin and lied down with her, he would have never had what was promised to him. Never. He would have never attained the promised land that was for him. Yet the opposite happened. He was put into prison. He was put in the wilderness. He was tested. He was tried. And regardless, he stood true and said, I know there's a promise because God gave me that promise. God gave me a dream and I believe it's for me. And if God promised it, I'm going to believe it. If God promised it, I'm going to attain it. If God promised it, I'm going to go for it. If I'm stuck in prison, that's part of God's plan for my life. If I'm beating like Paul and Silas were for, for doing the, the work of God, then that's part of God's plan for it. 
And so happened in Joseph's life that he was lifted up and, man, being second in command in the land. Wow. From prison to palace. From the worst to the best. Or like we like to say in Livingstones, from nothing to something. From rejected to accepted. And that's a promise for each and every one of you. For you to stand up and take the land, it's a promise. Believe that dream. Believe that promise for your life. And don't give in. Joseph didn't give in and he attained the best. David gave in to the sin and he had a consequence for that. So did Samson. Look at these people as examples for your life. That you may learn by that. Very few people will decide to say, I'm going to be 100% devoted, that I'm so devoted that when I wake up in the morning, I'm not going to reach for my phone. I'm going to reach for the word. And I'm going to do like David did, that he says, I seek God in the morning. And if you need to examine yourself this morning and see where you're at, do it. It's worth it. I had to go to the hospital the other day and get examined, make sure everything was good. I mean, tie me up, God. Make sure my heart is good. Make sure it's beating. Make sure the oxygen level is good. Make sure I got no disease in me. Because there is. I need all the medicine. Give me what you got. I need your healing. And you need to do the same. Say, God, plug me in. Plug me in. Put the word of God in different areas of my life. Test me, God. Show me. The Bible says it's a mirror. That when you look at it, it's going to show the areas in your life, it may even break you. You just read the commandments in here and you're like, man, I fail. Good, it's supposed to break you. Because when you're broken, then you can run to the cross and God will embrace you and you're going to love God. Because of those that are much forgiven, oh, there's so much love. I love God because he first loved me. Because he first gave his life for me. And now because he loved me, and gave everything to me. And I know where he rescued me from. All of you got a story. Remember where you came from? When God rescued me from where, where he took me out of, I fell in love. He was my hero. He was my everything. And he says, I got a promise for you. I have a land that when you go into it, you're going to receive my best. Pay whatever price, Kenny. Do whatever it takes. I laid down my life for you. I paid the price for you. I was beaten. I was bruised. I was humiliated. I was put to shame. Everything. Because I love you. But it was to fulfill a promise. It was to fulfill a promise that you will be with me in paradise. That you will attain the best that I have for you. And I'll tell you, church, spring of life, Christ not only died for you to give you salvation, but to give you the best. And eye has not seen, nor ear has heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those that love him, for those that seek him, for those that want to give him their best, those that will lay down their life like Christ laid it down for you. It's worth it. The best is worth it, no matter what. You want a better marriage? Do it. Men, rise up. I promise you, you'll have the best marriage. You'll have kids that will honor you. 
In fact, they'll raise up like the Bible says and even tell your wife and call her blessed. My mom's a blessed woman. You want your children to speak blessing into your life. Well, you got to speak blessing into them now. Don't give up. Get out of that mud. Get out of that rut and stand up and take that land. It's for you. Those that are seeking employment, those that are needing that promotion because you can't pay your mortgage, don't seek the promotion. Seek God. He's going to take care of those needs. Trust in Him. Believe in Him. Believe the promise. Don't give up on that. Keep your eye on the goal, on the prize. And do whatever it takes to get there. Don't allow a sin, don't allow a, a little pencil in your life, anything to take and lose the flow of what God has for you. Get the snake and pull that out so that God's blessing, God's flow, His Spirit may flow in your life. I want to end with a verse because the question is, can he, I believe it. I believe in that promised land. In fact, I believe it in my heart. But I don't want to do like the people of Israel did, that with their feet they went a different direction. Because sometimes I find myself in my feet, in the, in the mud. How do I do this? And I'll tell you, I love the Bible because it's not complicated. It isn't. It's not complicated at all. Here's a solution. It's to repent. It's to say, God, I'm wrong. I'm sorry. I messed up. I know you told me to go this way, but I've, my feet have been turning this way. And it's reality, God. See, in my life, it wasn't the big five. It was like the big 20. I had a lot of things in my life. So there was a lot of ripping out of my life. A lot of things that took sacrifice. A lot of things that took hurt and pain and things I had to get rid of. Even my girlfriend at that time, that was Jenny. I had to do whatever it took to not allow God's best for my life. And thank God God's best for my life was Jenny because it was God's best for me. But it took for me to get rid of her at that moment. It took, it took for me to get rid of the friends that were being a, a bad influence in my life. For me to find not only good friends, but a good family in the Lord. These are the best friends I could ever have that I can call when I'm sick. Hey, pray for me. And it's not one person. It's like a connection that just, it's like a, a flame that goes through our church and says, we're praying for you, brother. God's in control. Take the land. So how do I do this, Kenny? You repent and you rely on his grace. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. And I end with this verse. And we can stand as we read this. Everyone look at this scripture. It says, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize, who cannot understand. We don't have a high priest. We don't have Christ as someone who can't understand with our weakness. He understands your weakness. In fact, it says there that but was in all points, in every area was tempted as we are, yet without sin. You see, he understands what you go through. He understands the temptations that you've been through because he's been there. He's been in the desert. He's been tempted when he's, when he's thirsty, when he's hungry. But he had the word of God and used the word to remove that temptation in his life. 
And when you're tempted, grab the word and start proclaiming its promises in your life. Start proclaiming the power of God in your life. And Christ is telling you here that he understands what you're going through. I've been there, yet he was without sin. Verse 16. But here it is. You repent. And number two says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. Let us come boldly. In other words, go with confidence. Don't have fear. There's a throne called grace. And when you walk into it, it'll take control of your life. It'll take you through that battle. It'll take you through that desert. Believe. Believe that when you repent and you walk into grace, don't fear. For God says, I'm with you. Come therefore boldly to the throne of grace. Says why? That we may obtain mercy, his forgiveness, and find grace to help in time of need. God's grace is in this place. God's healing is in this place for your situation. And I don't want to have an altar call this morning. Because the altar's in your heart right now. For you to give up to God right now where you're at, at your seat. You know the areas. For you to come in repentance to him and ask boldly for his grace. I need you, God. And I'll tell you, his grace is more than sufficient. All you need to make it through and reach God's best for your life. Let's sing this song. Let's surrender our heart to him. Let's pray. Say, here I am, God. I'm here to worship you. Restore my life. Heal me, God. I need you, Father. I want to receive your best and nothing but your best. I know it's for me. I receive it, Jesus. Worship him. Yes, Lord. Tell them, chains have been broken as we bless your name. Here in your house, here in your house, we have been restored. We have been restored. Chains have been broken. Yes, Lord. As we bless your name, bless them. Here in your 